Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with me, your host, Dr. Nick. This week's episode, Disrupting the Status Quo of Healthcare. Our healthcare system is broken. It is working as it was originally designed, but costs have ballooned to levels that are economically unsustainable, and the outcomes have slipped. The most recent Commonwealth report, Mirror Mirror 2021, reflecting poorly, compares 11 high-income countries' healthcare systems and their outcomes with no two systems alike in the way that they deliver care. The analysis looked at multiple performance measures across five domains. Despite the United States spending far more of its gross domestic product on healthcare than any of the other countries, it ranks last in all categories except one. We, the people, the citizens of this country, are not getting the value we want or could get from the healthcare system. Meanwhile, business is faltering under the weight of healthcare costs, which in the United States are linked to employment. We have seen a range of estimates of the contribution these costs have to the goods we buy, with as much as one third of the price of a car going to pay for healthcare for their employees. The impact has seen a relative decline in salaries as the rising healthcare costs have chewed into the money that might otherwise have been used to raise salaries for employees. Employers know they need to change the economics, but the healthcare system is filled with a few large companies who own the space. They own the payment streams, they own the delivery options, they own the marketplace. Any change that impacts the existing flow of patients and money and the incumbents push back on anything that impacts their bottom line. This week, we challenge the notion that healthcare costs and premiums must continue to rise. My guest today is Dr. Brian Klepper, a healthcare analyst, commentator, and entrepreneur. He is the CEO of Worksite Health Advisors, a benefits consultancy focused on linking high-performance, high-impact healthcare organizations with purchases. Brian, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. So uh, we're talking about disrupting healthcare and disrupting the status quo. It feels like we've been stuck in this uh, recurring nightmare, for want of another description, of healthcare and the way that it's delivered. How do we do that? Well, that's right. I mean, everything is rigged. The, the policy, is, uh, policy environment is owned by the, by the large healthcare companies who, who, pay, who lobby to get their way on every single thing that comes along healthcare. The, the healthcare marketplace is mostly rigged as well. So the only way out is to find new entrants into the marketplace 
that can that can make purchasers a deal they can't refuse in terms of better health outcomes and lower costs. And when you've got a when you've got a system that has ballooned as much as this one has, that's pretty straightforward. Due. And I think that we're close to the tipping point on that. But when you say that the system's rigged, that always gets my hair up because as soon as I hear that, I think there's no way that anybody's going to be disrupting this because the folks that are in control will preclude anybody. So any of these entrants that come into the marketplace are going to be precluded from disrupting it by those individuals that have a vested interest in the status quo. That would be true except for one thing. You can't stop people from creating new approaches and selling them in the marketplace. Um, you, you, we've got policy pretty well locked up. We've got the health plans pretty well locked up. And we know that the big players make more if healthcare costs more. So they're not going to back off of that until they absolutely have to. But there are organizations out there that get wildly better health outcomes at much, much lower cost with much better patient satisfaction. And, and the, the trick is getting purchasers to be willing to use them. So, and, it, and it's very much in their interest to do that. So let's talk about purchases. Who are the purchasers and who needs to be involved in that whole process? Well, the, the purchaser community is the is um, has as a liaison to, to healthcare, the broker community. And that's a very corrupt process. That's a very corrupt enterprise. So we have brokers who are taking money from the health plans, advising, advising purchasers on how, what the structure of their health plans needs to look like, who, who, the, who the vendors should be. And so that can't work. So what you have to have are, are are purchasers, employers, and unions who have benefits managers who are accountable to the CFO and and on the hook to get better results that that are that are are obtainable. So I mean, so that let, we let's talk about that a little bit. So I, what I heard you say was that there's a whole group of folks that sit in the middle of this that are essentially also interested in the status quo, these benefit managers who sit outside companies who have a vested interest in maintaining the price and actually increasing the price on an ongoing basis. Right. There, there's the benefits managers who work for the em employers and unions themselves who really don't, they don't want any, any they, they, they like the, the status quo. They're not being held accountable for the cost. And... They, don't, they want as little disruption as possible. Then you have the benefits advisors who are, who are working presumably on behalf of the, of the purchasers, but really are most often working for the health plans and other interests. And, and so you have, to, you have to find a way to, what we have to do is make healthcare purchasers an offer they can't refuse. It's gotta be so strong that, that if, it, if the benefits manager blows it off and the CFO finds out about it, the benefits manager could lose her job. And, and, and an example of this would be, able, would be to walk into an employer and say, if you work with us, 
we're going to bring these different tools to bear in, in a way that's been done before many times. And, and we will financially guarantee you better health outcomes on the following metrics at a, at a, and, and you'll pay 25% less this year than last year. And we'll guarantee that. So you talk about the existing status quo, all of the vested interest, you're pushing against what I would call an extraordinarily difficult um, tide of vested interest. You've got examples. Has this actually been done in any place? Can we point to examples of this? Well, so for example, I just did a project with the state of New Jersey employee health plan. And um, we did a review and, and we wrote a report that, it, that went public. And in the report, we said, look, the, 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 the plan administrator, which in this case was Horizon Blue Cross, doesn't really want to give the state of New Jersey health plan its data. It doesn't want to want them to use um, to have to have much say over who the vendors are, the, the docs or the hospitals or what whatnot. They want to define that, and they need to go. And they're they're paying. They've got eight hundred and twenty-two thousand lives. They're paying uh, five point seven billion dollars. And by our math, we thought that that if they did things that we had recommended, they could easily save something approaching two billion dollars a year. And an immense amount of money. I, I'm just going to pause for a second. I can't do billions in my head, but I'm going to say that's of the order of 35, 40% savings, somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah, some, some, somewhere in that range. And you could say, well, let's do that over three or four years. And we, we could say, okay, we'll do that. But let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about and why I think this is not a fantasy. So there's a musculoskeletal management company based out of Tallahassee, Florida. They've been working with Michelin for 10 years. And Michelin, as you know, is an engineering company. They don't mess around. They, and they, they go by the numbers. Um, this company is working now with Walmart. Um, they, they've got a lot of other interesting clients. And what they've done is they... Their, their methodology is based on a subdiscipline of physical therapy called the McKinsey method, also referred to as mechanical diagnosis and therapy. And they started off as a mechanical diagnosis and therapy shop within a, within a continuous quality improvement background. And against that framework, they, they, they had a set of interventions which they did on every patient and when the, when the numbers, then, and they watched the key indicators, the key performance indicators, and when the numbers didn't end up looking right, they stopped, they rethought their model, they course corrected their treatment pathway, and they did this over and over and over again, like turning a crank. And, the, and in a very short period of time, just a few years, their entire care model um, organically evolved into something completely different than it had been when, he, when they started, much more accurate and, and precise. And the math shows now on over a million patient encounters that they get hugely better health outcomes, pain reduction, range of motion, activities of daily living, in half the recovery time and at half the cost of conventional orthopedics. Well, you're talking, 
you're talking an area that is 20% of, of group health spend and something like 65% of occupational health spend. So the numbers that we're talking about are really big. They will financially guarantee a 25% reduction in musculoskeletal spend, which in the which at a minimum means a four to four to six percent reduction in total spend, but the actual results are likely to be double that because they're only going to guarantee half of what they know they can achieve. And and so we're we're really talking about an eight to twelve percent reduction in total spend by doing this one thing. But that's all great. But that's Michelin. They're a huge company. They've got all these resources. What about a two hundred person facility that's just barely getting by they don't have the resources the data aggregation how do they fix this problem they there there are huge incentives i mean uh, david contorno who who you should probably have on the show is working with those those kinds of groups they're really suffering and they're and they're willing to change what they do so you get a bunch of 200 life groups together in a market and, and you, you, you build a collaborative market. This is the function that, that the more advanced on, on-site, near-site, and clinics are doing. I mean, in advanced primary care, the model is to use the primary care operation as a platform for the management of full continuum clinical and financial risk. And, and if you can set that up right, you give, the, you give all self-funded employers a way to get at the better tools that are available to get much better results. But I got to push back a little bit here because as you say that, uh, you know, it was great for Michelin, fantastic example, but here we are, now we get smaller groups and now we've got to aggregate and now suddenly we've got another organization. Isn't that just another... Um, set of folks who have a vested interest and that sort of diminishes the value proposition? Yeah, there's a, there's a dangerous thing going on right now that's worth talking about. So a, a good example is the sale of Iora Health, which is an on-site near-site clinic company. I'm very good friends with the CEO and founder, Rushika Fernandapool, a, a prince of a human being. And they just sold Iora Health to a company called One Medical for $2.1 billion. And they had 38,000 lives under management, which works out to $55,000 per life under management. Well, what that says is, is that the investors in that, in that venture are thinking not about primary care, but they think that they can, get, they can pull, pull down a percentage of the savings that this management company is able to get on, on care throughout the entire continuum. That's the only way to pay back a number like that. And, and what we're seeing is, these, is this fierce interest in primary care as a way of, as a way of, of, becoming, of getting into um, pulling down, pulling down rent-seeking rent in healthcare is, is really what it's about. And that's, that's a threat. But the reason I don't think that that can work is that you've got organizations like Walmart and, and Amazon entering this space, and they are very, you, you can say a lot of ugly things about Walmart and Amazon if you want, but at the end of the day, they are very disciplined 
and they don't believe in price gouging. And, and they, will, they will be creating models that look at management of not only primary care, but a full continuum risk, and they will be very hard to compete with in the market. They, there will be no reason for them to artificially inflate their pricing. So that's good news that they're jumping in and we've seen their sort of in and out. We saw dollar value has really sort of stepped into this space. And, you know, that's great news. But we're seeing private equity, which essentially says I'm following the money. There's money in healthcare, and I can pull out that money. That money is being taken away from patients, essentially, is what I heard you say. Right. Prevent that. How do we stop this bleeding of all of the resources, this 18%. I saw something just recently that said it's going to climb to 22. I think that's unsustainable. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But um, how do we stop this bleed? It sounds like this is just a continuing pervasive problem of a capitalistic system. Yeah, it is. I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, one answer is many, many employers are, being, are simply being priced out of the healthcare market. There's no way that they can that they can pay these rates, uh, especially now that wages ha- are are being necessarily increased. Um, I mean, we all we all know all all those arguments, but at the end of the day, if 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 we have if we leave the market as it is, and you have a you have a quote for what coverage is from a from a Blue Cross or United or Aetna or Cigna. And then somebody comes in and says, I can consistently deliver better results for 25% less, that, that's going to be noticed. So do you cut these players out? Is that what we do? We have to cut the existing players out of the yeah. marketplace and go direct? Yeah. You, yeah. The, the more you can say, we're going to do it without Aetna, we're going to do it with, without Without the health plan that is that's uh, jiggering the rules, better. And you can work with lots of third-party administrators. You can work with other with other kinds of organizations. But it doesn't have to be just just those those kinds of arrangements. It's very important that, that this is this is the stuff that I'm talking about is aimed at self-funded groups, self self-insured groups, because they have a lot more maneuverability. But for example, if I, if I say, look, I've got a much better approach that I want to use to management of specialty pharma. I've got a much better approach that I can use to, to manage chronic disease and, and, and get better results or, or high claims resolution or claims review or all the places where the money really is. If I focus on those and I bundle them, and then I go to the, to the stop loss market and I, then I can say, look, I'm, I'm going to buy my stop loss insurance from you, but I'm, I'm using these other tools and the data on these tools shows that they get better, better financial results. If I, if I use these, these organizations as, as tools, I want credit on my, I want credit on my stop loss premium. That's a big advantage. So, so there's a multiplier effect too. You're not only going to drive down your premium, but you're going to drive down your stop loss premium. But I think the important thing here is that if you're going to do any of this, 
you have to be outside of the traditional insurance market. Yes, you do. This whilst you're still part of that. None of those savings accrue to you, the organization, the employer, the payer of all of this. It accrues to the organization that you've essentially contracted the savings. They, well, in, in my view, the organizations that I work with produce great, great savings, and those savings are shared between them and the purchaser. That's, that has to be negotiated as part of the opening contract, right? Yeah, there, there, are, there are three elements that I would urge you to think about. One is advanced primary care. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about direct primary care. I'm talking about people who, are, who have invested in infrastructure and analytics. They're doing all, they're, they're thinking about how to manage clinical risk and how to manage financial risk. And they, and they have that within a primary care base. And then they tap into what I'm going to call high performance specialty services. P places where the money is. And I, like I just mentioned, chronic disease, um, which includes cardiometabolic disease, which is a big, big element, musculoskeletal, cancer, drugs, things like that. There are organizations that have specialized in managing the risks that the in these areas and they will guarantee their results they have proven results and they and they'll they'll make financial guarantees so if you are i mean the since the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and thinking that you're going to get a different result it's not hard to convince progressive benefits managers to do something differently and there is a there is a very vibrant community of, of benefits managers, benefits advisors, and innovative vendors that are on my listserv. I, I, I run a, a, a listserv on healthcare value and high, high performance. There are a thousand people on that listserv and rarely does anybody quit. And that's because the, the conversation is about here are all the ways that you can, that are a better way to skin the cat. You know, it, do, I, do I think that this is an uphill battle? Of course, United is, is pervasive in the, in, the, in the industry and they're very strong and they're not really much interested in making less money tomorrow than they are today. I, I don't think anybody is, let's, let's be clear. I mean, right. This is always gonna be an uphill struggle. But I think what I took specifically out of this conversation and I like it is, that to continue to do the same thing is insanity and expect the same results because the world continues to move. There are options. I think we've set out and talked about some of them. There's real hope. I think there's scope to be able to change this so we can disrupt healthcare, but what it requires is hard work and it requires some insights and support and help to be able to do that. Um, great conversation. Brian, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again sometime. We can and must disrupt the status quo of healthcare, but it needs everyone involved at the table and compromising. Collaborative markets do exist and investing in the primary care system allows for the management of the full continuum of care and risk. 
we see large disciplined organizations entering the marketplace creating economically sustainable models and solutions. Healthcare is and continues to be a good business to be in, but it doesn't have to be at the expense of the population and the people we are trying to serve. Third-party administrators have developed solutions that can bring real savings, delivering lower costs, better outcomes, and happier staff. Your better pill to swallow is to stop accepting the status quo and the expectation that healthcare insurance costs must continue to rise. A thriving healthcare market system is like every other business marketplace, where we expect and see costs continue to decline and efficiencies rise. Help is available to assess your individualized company needs, understanding your employees and finding the solutions to fit. Step outside the traditional insurance marketplace. Insist on a reduction in the spend that is not linked to a reduction in benefits or cost shifting to your employee's portion of the healthcare insurance spend. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. 